0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. It looks like we are live, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, and get started with this. If you guys would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. We're currently working our way through the book of Hebrews. Uh, Today is part 4. Uh, well, I guess four and a half of the series that we're going through, or the kind of mini-series within a series that we're going through. Uh, Before I get started, I want to remind everybody that this sermon is kind of split into two parts. Uh, Verses 11 through 28, the author is proving one point through that whole portion. And I talked about this last week. You know, I could choose to kind of uh, go through that and, and try to cover the whole thing in one sermon. Well, that would leave me with two options, either a really long sermon... Uh, which I don't think I'm a good enough preacher to hold everybody's attention that long. Or it could be a, uh, I could kind of cover it all very quickly and not get into the detail that I thought God wanted us to do. So instead, I chose to split it into two parts. Um, What I'm calling uh, part 4.0 was last week, um, and then this week is going to be part, what I'm calling 4.5 or 4.5. So to get the full intro and the first part of the sermon, you'll have to go back to last week's sermon either through YouTube or on the podcast. Uh, But this morning, we are going to be in chapter 7, verses 20 through 28, and I'm calling this Jesus is Greater Than the Old Testament Priests, part 4.5. And the main idea, again, it's the same main idea from last week because it's just a continuation from last week, is that that Jesus draws us near to God. We learned last week that the Greek word for that is teleosis, and the teleosis is that drawing near to God. Jesus provides the teleosis for us. This week, we've got it broken down into three parts. There's the promised priest, the permanent priest, and the perfect priest. Now, I know a lot of Baptist preachers will will go through and do a lot of alliteration. I don't do great on that, but this week it was just too easy. I I couldn't resist it. So the promised priest, the permanent priest, and the perfect priest. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Actually, before we get started, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made so you could bring us close to God. We could bring us close to the Father. As we Study your word this morning. I pray that you will show us how we are not like you. Show us how we can surrender more of our lives so that you can live through us and help us to grow closer to you in this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so now we'll go ahead and get started. Starting in chapter seven, verse 20. It says, none of this happened without an oath. For others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn... And will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become a guarantee of a better covenant. The, uh, the this and none of this is the previous command now being annulled. Uh, and the old priesthood being replaced by a new priest. We discussed this last week. The Old Testament law and the priests, they were they were tied together in one system. Uh, these priests were they were appointed based on lineage. They were descendants of Levi, as was stated in verse 16, based on a legal regulation about physical descent. But he reiterates the same point here, where it says that. Um, the law. Sorry, he reiterates that same point where it says others became priests without an oath. That without an oath is because of their lineage. Um, but the law, this Old Testament law, was unable to draw people close to God. Uh, therefore, a new law was necessary. And this new law came with a new priest. And the new priest was prophesied or promised back in Psalm 100. And that Psalm 100 is what is quoted in the next verse. In verse 21, it says he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Where it says the Lord has sworn is what the author is talking about an oath. So again, just to be clear, he's contrasting the appointment of the priests. Those Old Testament priests were appointed based on their lineage, their, their biological descent. Whereas Jesus has become a priest because of an oath made by God. Um, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. That's what verse 22 says. The author seems to be using the ideas of oath, um, a sworn statement, and a covenant interchangeably. And while these terms are similar and can sometimes be used interchangeably, in this case, I think they can, I think that's something that we need to be cautious about and not make that a regular practice practice, because um, an oath, a sworn statement, and a covenant, like I said, they're similar, but they're not the exact same terms. Um, But like I said, he's doing that here. The term that's used here for the word guarantee, it was a legal term, and, you know, legal term carry legal implications. It was used to refer to somebody who took on the legal obligations or responsibilities for somebody else. Well, how does that work? Well, in order to understand how that works and what the author's talking about here, we need to talk about covenants. Uh, When you look through God's word, the grand storyline of the Bible can be summarized through the covenants that God makes with his people. You've heard me talk about the Abrahamic covenant. Or the Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant is where God promised the, the land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants and promised that, one of, or that, promised that the, the whole world would be, pl- would be blessed through Abraham's seed. Uh, the Davidic covenant is the promise that God made to David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. Um, and so those are a couple of the covenants that God's made. But specifically here, the author is contrasting two covenants. And that's the Mosaic covenant and the New Covenant. All right, so the Mosaic Covenant um, is it's also known as the Sinai Covenant because this is the, 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 the contract that God entered into with his people at Mount Sinai. He said, if you will do this and this and this and this and this, then I will bless you. You will be my people and I will bless you, all right? Um, but this uh, the New Covenant is actually... Where we're going to start, uh, the author's going to dig deeper into this in our next section. So right now we're in this uh, mini-series where Jesus is greater than the Old Testament priests. Uh, the next one is going to be talking about the covenants and really focusing in on those covenants. But the new covenant is the promise that God established through Jesus. The new covenant is one based on grace extended to the people through Jesus' sacrifice. Whereas the Mosaic covenant or the Sinai covenant was based on law, legal regulations, and and behavioral expectations, the new covenant is one that's based on grace. See, Jesus took our place and he paid our penalty in that way. That's how he can be the guarantee of the better covenant. Remember that word that's used for guarantee means where somebody else steps in and takes on the legal responsibilities for another person. And so when Jesus took our punishment for our sins, he stepped in our place He is the guarantee of the new covenant. Through Jesus, our sin is paid and we are brought close to God by being made holy. It is this ability of the new covenant to bring us close to God that makes it a better covenant. What he says right here in verse 22, a better covenant. The Mosaic covenant could not bring us close to God. It could not provide the teleosis uh, that was needed. Therefore, it needed to be replaced with something better. Jesus, through the new covenant, Uh, brings that teleosis that we need. Jesus draws us near to God. We'll keep reading, picking up in verse 23. Now, many have become Levitical priests since they were prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. It says that many have become Levitical priests. So we look at the the Levites, the priesthood in the Old Testament, and we can see that there are many, many different priests who are named. Well, this is because when somebody becomes a priest, they're going to serve in that office until they retire or until they die. Well, us being humans, we are limited by our lifespan. And those Old Testament priests, in the same way, they're limited by their lifespan. And when one would die off, they'd have to be replaced with a new one. So many have become Levitical priests, basically because the old one would die and we need a new one. But Jesus remains forever. Right? He holds his priesthood permanently because he remains forever. So this uh, Jesus contrasts this uh, replacing of the Old Testament priests when they would die and when they would need to be replaced. Jesus contrasts that because he lives forever and does not need to be replaced. So remember, yeah, Jesus, Jesus did die on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected on the third day in victory over death. Uh, proving his deity and providing salvation for us. Then after 40 days, he ascended into heaven. Jesus lives forevermore in heaven at the right hand of God. And because of that, he forevermore holds the office of priest. And since he is the forevermore priest, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. The Greek word that's used here for completely can refer to either the extent of time or the extent of salvation. So when we think of completely, we can think of completely as in the entire calendar, or completely as in um, the, the, the whole day, right? And so when we're talking about the completely in this instance, or in, the, in this uh, text, the context seems to be talking about the time aspect of completely, not not the, um, where it's... it's uh, Sorry, the, the illustration's leaving me. So it's, it's the forever aspect of completely, where from the beginning of time, or even before the beginning of time, through the end of time and beyond that. So forever ago and forevermore. That's this completely that it's talking about. Jesus's eternal priesthood is greater than the Old Testament priests because Jesus provides salvation for all time. He does not need, need to be replaced because he doesn't die. <clears throat> And since he doesn't die and he ascended into heaven, he always lives to intercede for them. See, Jesus is always at God's right hand interceding for us. This intercession is prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53. It says, After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil. Because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. See, intercessory intercessory prayer is where somebody stands before God on behalf of somebody else, seeking that other person's benefit from God. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, constantly pleading on our behalf, pleading for our salvation, pleading for our forgiveness. There is no gap in the priesthood. <clears throat> because Jesus does not die and leave the office vacant, not even for a moment, that the office is permanently and always completely filled by Jesus. Jesus sits at God's right hand, constantly pleading on our behalf. See, this is necessary because, well, I don't know about you, but it only takes just, just a moment for me to sin. And sometimes it seems to come at the most inopportune moments, the most unexpected times, It only takes a moment for me to sin. And then other times, it seems like every moment is sin for me. Thank God that Jesus is always there, permanently sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for me. And if you guys struggle like I do, I'm pretty sure you can thank God for that one too. Jesus has all of that covered because there is no moment when our high priest is not there interceding for us. So getting back to our main text, uh, we're going to read starting at 26. For this is the, the high oh, sorry, for this is the kind of high priest we need: holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day, as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for the sins of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. All right, so it says, this is the the kind of high priest that we need. And then it goes on to list uh, a bunch of characteristics of Jesus. See, these qualities elevate Jesus above the Old Testament priests. They were not holy. They were not innocent. They were sinners, and they lived and died on the earth. Jesus stands over and above these priests because of these qualities. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Or even when you contrast Jesus the sacrificial lamb, against the the sacrifices that these Old Testament priests made, we see some other, uh, that these same qualities elevate Jesus above those sacrifices as well. Not that those lambs that were sacrificed in the Old Testament could be considered as sinners, but they're also under the curse of sin. See, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the curse of sin spread throughout all of creation. There's not a single part of creation that is not affected by sin. And so these sacrifices were not separated from sinners, they uh, nor were they exalted above the heavens. That's why in the next verse, the author makes the point that Jesus doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for the sins of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. See, Jesus' sacrifice was not only perfect in that he didn't need to offer uh, atonement for his own sin, like the Old Testament priests do, But his sacrifice was also more effective because it was untainted by sin in any way. The Old Testament priests were sinful men who offered sacrifices that were tainted by sin. But Jesus is the sinless Son of God who offered himself sinless, holy, and blameless for us. This sacrifice doesn't need to be practiced every day. This sacrifice doesn't need to be repeated day after day because it is perfect. The the perfect sacrifice whose power extends through time. But just to make sure that the author is clear, he reiterates, "For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath, which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever." See, he's saying that the Old Testament priests were sinful and mortal, but Jesus is holy and eternal. The Son of God, as the, high priests, as the, I'm sorry, the Son of God as the high priest, sits forever at the right hand of God, ministering as our priest. It is through this continual forever priesthood that we are able to be drawn near to God. Last week, we started this point that the Old Testament priest had to be replaced because they could not provide the teleosis that was needed. They could not draw us near to God. But now we see that Jesus' ministry does that. Jesus' ministry draws us close to God. His sacrifice is perfect. His ministry is forever. Jesus provides the teleosis that our heart longs for and that we cannot find anywhere other than right there in the presence of God. So we get to our application. And our application always comes from Matthew 4.19 where Jesus says, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. It's there that we find our definition of a disciple and our three indicators of a disciple, and that's knowing, being, and doing. So our first application point is to know that Jesus draws us near to God. Our sin makes us righteous. I'm oh, sorry. Our sin makes us unrighteous and unholy, and it separates us from God. Humanity has tried just about everything to draw near to God. Humanity has tried just about everything to fix that brokenness. We have, but uh, we always find is that. Whatever we try, is only going to lead to more brokenness. Whatever we try, it's not going to draw us near to God. We need to be near to God. Our soul longs to be near to God. We have that need because that's where we were created to be. We were created to be in close relationship with God. So we have a problem. We were created to be close to God, but because of our guilt that we can't fix, we are driven away from God. And it is through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that our sins are atoned for and we are made righteous. It is through Jesus' ministry that we can be brought close to God. He is sitting at the right hand of God, constantly pleading on our behalf and interceding for us. So that's our our second application point, is to be interceded for. Well, that interceded doesn't sound like a real word, but I promise it is. Be interceded for. Those intercessory prayers are where Jesus seeks our benefit from God. Jesus goes to God on our behalf and pleads for us. But this is only for those who have placed their faith in him. All of these application points are only for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. So if you have not done that, let today be the day. Call out to him for salvation. Be drawn close to God. Place your faith in Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. Uh, Jesus' sacrifice for your sins, providing that teleosis that our hearts long for. It is through faith that we can be interceded for. Now, this morning, as I was doing my last run through on my notes, I got to this last application point and I said, that's not right. That, that, that doesn't fit with the text. It's not, it's not necessarily wrong, but it doesn't really fit with the text. And we at the, the last application point is to draw near to God, right? This whole time, these last two weeks, it's been Jesus draws us near to God. Now I'm saying you draw near to God. No, so... I had to change it this morning as I was looking at it and you know, praying through it uh, so that this change is instead of draw near to God, it is to leave the legalism. Leave the legalism. This whole time, the author of Hebrews is looking at this Old Testament law and the Old Testament priest and there's this whole system set up and how they're supposed to approach God and how they're supposed to behave and how they're supposed to um, uh, try to be holy and try to fix this separation that they have. When in the end, he's saying, just place your faith in Jesus. Leave that legalism behind. You are under a new covenant, a covenant of grace. So leave that legalism behind. Faith in Jesus' sacrifice is the only requirement to draw near to God. There are so many other cultural hurdles that we place on ourselves and on others that are outside of the gospel. The only way to draw near to God is through the gospel, through Jesus' sacrifice and faith in him. It is through Jesus that we are forgiven and through Jesus that we continue to draw near to him. The gospel is not just for salvation. As if that's something little. Salvation is huge, but it is not just for salvation. The gospel is how we continue to draw close to God. It is how we are con- how we continue to be pulled into God. As a Christian, when you grow more mature as a disciple, you still don't graduate from needing to depend on the gospel. We depend on the gospel every moment of every day. So this draw near to God, no, no. The do is to leave the legalism and depend solely on the gospel for your salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the truth that is in your word. We praise you because it is through your son's sacrifice that we can be drawn near to you. Jesus provides our salvation He provides our righteousness, and He provides the teleosis that we need. It is only through Him that we can be drawn to You. Lord, I pray this morning that You will help us to continually surrender our lives to You, day after day. Continually uh, allow Jesus' prayers to intercede for us. Continually allow Him to draw us close to You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to close with our time of application. You can pray right where you're seated, or you can come to the front and pray at the cross, or you can come and pray with me. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.